Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Well, hey, once again, welcome. We want to thank you for joining us this morning. I hope that you are having a great morning worshiping the Lord. And man, you know, today, this might be the last Sunday that we actually have to do this in terms of those of us that live in this area, that we can come to church. I'm hoping. We know that the governor of, uh, of Tennessee has, has issued some guidance in terms of restaurants and uh, retail shops, and uh, we're looking for some specific guidance on churches, hopefully coming out this week. I, I know Mayor Ogles here in the Murray County Mayor is uh, looking into that currently, and he wants to get people back into church. So uh, we, have a, we have a mayor here and, and also a governor that supports you know, the freedom to worship. And so we're excited that hopefully this will be the last Sunday that those of you who decide to come back to church, you know, now in this frame will we'll come back and we'll be able to rejoice together, fellowship together, meet eyeball to eyeball. What an exciting, exciting moment that will be, that exciting Sunday. So be praying for that. We look forward to that. We can't wait for that. Um, and so um, I want to just uh, remind you that this morning is going to be the close of another book of the Bible that we have gone verse by verse through. So if you have your Bible, open up to 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are going to close down this, unless, of course, the rapture happens first. That could happen at any moment. We could be raptured out right now and not be able to finish this, so that would be awesome. How cool would that be? But should the Lord tarry, we shall finish 2 Thessalonians this morning. But you know what that means, right? That means that we need to share what it is that we learned out of this book, what God has been doing in our lives as we've been traveling through his word verse by verse. And so we know that the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is, speaks right into our lives. And so we know that as we sit before it and we, uh, and we listen to it and we receive it into our hearts that we are being transformed and changed. And so I want to encourage you. I need people who are willing to share, this is what God has done in my life in the last 10 weeks or 12 weeks, you know, as we've gone through 2 Thessalonians. It's been a shorter book, but it's been an awesome, very impactful book and very timely, I believe, in terms of what's going on in the world today. We're talking about the rise of the Antichrist in chapter 2. And if you miss that, man, you need to go back and listen to it. You need to understand some of the things that are going on in our culture right now, the things that are going on worldwide in our, um, here in our world today. Man, they are setting the stage for the Antichrist to rise up. He will not come, though until the rebellion comes first. And we talked about that. So go back and listen to it if you forgot what the rebellion is. So, but I want to encourage you, man, share what God is doing in your life. Listen, if, if it's not about 2 Thessalonians, then what has God been doing in the last several weeks in your life? Just here, as we've been separated and not been able to get eyeball to eyeball, face to face, what has God been doing? I know he's been doing amazing things in people's lives. People are getting saved. People are coming back to the Lord through this. What is God doing in your life? We don't want to hear about what God's doing in everybody else's life. Well, we do, but, but we want to hear about what God is doing in your life. Will you consider sharing with us next week? Now, you can do this a few different ways. You know, actually, we're probably going to just do it one way 
Uh, and that is, if you will take your phone, just take your phone out, you can turn it sideways like this, and then record yourself talking into the, the phone about what the Lord has done in your life. And you can send that file to me. If you have no idea how to do that, then I would encourage you to get in contact with myself um, or somebody here at the church. You can call the church number 931-922-6308, and we will set up a time to help you walk through that so we'll capture the video for you. And you can do it by yourself so no one, you know, you're not nervous or whatever, um, but we want to hear from you, man. Listen, being part of a body means sharing what's going on in your lives. And I think that, honestly, like in this culture, man, we have become very closed off, and we need to open ourselves up, and we need to share with each other what God is doing. He's doing amazing things. He's the God of all creation, and he's at work in our lives, and we want to share that. So I want to encourage you. I can't stress it enough. Please share. Don't assume somebody else is going to do it. I would rather have, you know, 100 videos than have none, right, or just have a few. I want, we want to hear from you. And if, you're, if you don't live in this area and you join us online, you can also just send us an, uh, an email, tim at calvaryofcolumbia.org. Go to our website and just put the contact us form there. You can go there and, and just get a hold of me and I'll, I'll, um, you know, I'll email you back and you can send that file to us. We want to hear from you, man. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Young people, this also includes you. Listen, God's doing something in your life. God has been doing something in your life. We want to hear from you. So I want to encourage you guys, send those up. I would love to have those by Wednesday of this week. So that doesn't give you a whole bunch of time to, like, wiggle out of it. So you got to do it just today. As soon as service is over, man, get yourself locked up in a room. Take your phone out and just start, start telling us what God is doing in your life. And start praising him because he is good and he is at he is at work, and we have something to say about that. So why don't you stand with me? We are going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Here's what it says. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but the, with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, May the, Lord of peace give, uh, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus 
Christ be with you all. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask you, Lord, to come and speak into our lives now. May this not just be another chapter of another book that we're closing out, Lord, but may this be another life-transforming moment as we sit before your throne and allow your Holy Spirit to come in and speak to us and to, to correct us and train us and teach us. Lord, we want to become more like Jesus. So, Father, will you come? Will you speak into our lives? Will you draw us into that place of intimacy with you this morning? And will you help us to hear clearly from you and give us the faith to walk the steps out that you would lay before us this morning? We thank you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In the year 1927, in the city of Ventura, California, two subsequent events happened in the lives of Charles and Maude Smith that would forever impact Christians everywhere. First, their three-year-old daughter, Virginia, was diagnosed with spinal meningitis and suffered a seizure while at home and became lifeless. Virginia's mother, Maude, scooped her up and ran her down the street to the pastor's parsonage on and begged for prayer. The pastor told Maude, get your eyes off your daughter and just worship and pray. Maude, who had just recently became a believer, prayed, Lord, if you will give me my little girl back again, I will give you my life. I will serve you and do whatever you want me to do. Shortly thereafter, Virginia's father, Charles, entered the room. And after seeing the lifeless body of his daughter laying there, fell to his knees and began to cry, knowing that she was gone forever. When he looked up, Virginia's eyes suddenly opened. The Lord had answered their prayers. And Virginia was not only alive, but she was completely healed. Charles became a Christian that day. Two months later, Charles and Maude would become the proud parents of a little boy whom they would name Charles Ward Smith after his father. Maude immediately prayed, Lord, through my son, I will fulfill my vow to you. Throughout his childhood, Maude would teach her son Charles how to memorize scripture and she would read him Bible stories every night. At the age of 14, Charles would give his heart to the Lord, and although he had a desire to become a doctor, at the age of 16, he would answer the call to become a pastor. Interesting enough, his mother, Maude, never told him about the vow that she made to the Lord until her deathbed because she didn't want to influence him to please her. She wanted God to lead him. Soon after Charles would complete Bible college, he would marry Kay and then go on to pastor many churches with passion uh, to what resulted in a roller coaster of failure, testing, trials, and discouragement. However, Charles pressed on and did not grow weary. He lived under the premise that everything is preparation for something. God prepares us in the present for something in the future. And boy, was he right about that. In 1965, Chuck became the pastor of a little church called Calvary Chapel 
in Costa Mesa, California. At the time, attendance was around 25 people. After his first sermon, there were about, about half the congregation had left the church. That's encouraging. Nevertheless, Chuck would hold the course, as he would always say. He remained focused on teaching the scriptures verse by verse, and the church began to grow. Meanwhile, Pastor Chuck and his wife Kay had a growing heart for the hippies, his wife more than he. But because his wife was weeping over this lost generation, Pastor Chuck's heart would turn as well, and they would go down to Huntington Beach, and they would pray over all of the young people there who were, who were lost out of their minds, seeking hope on some spiritual journey. Soon after, and perhaps as a result of their prayers, and along with the prayers of many others, God began to move in this lost generation. God had prepared Pastor Chuck and Kay for such a time as this. For 17 years, Pastor Chuck ministered tirelessly. Now God was going to use him incredibly. He would go down in church history as one of the most influential leaders during the fourth great awakening, the Jesus movement. God used Pastor Chuck to impact countless lives through the faithful teaching of God's word. Young people would, that would never step foot into a church were being drawn by God to this little old country church at the edge of town. God would go on to raise up thousands and thousands of pastors through the discipleship of Pastor Chuck who would in turn significantly impact their cities that they serve. The work was the Lord's doing, and Pastor Chuck would never take the credit for what God had done. In fact, Time Magazine came out and did a story on Pastor Chuck and Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. They, they wanted to see what the draw was. The article said, we don't get it. You see, there was nothing dynamic, nothing incredibly special about what was going on. It was the Lord at work. He was drawing people. It was not a man-centered thing that was going on. It was a spirit-led movement. The Lord was drawing people to himself. But the Lord has, as we see through the corridor of history, always used men and women. He's used loyal hearts to show himself strong. And this would be the case in Pastor Chuck's heart. As Paul said to Timothy, God has always used workers who need not be ashamed but who rightly handle the word of truth. Pastor Chuck committed himself to being a worker who would rightly divide the word of God to the best of his ability. And God used that to appeal to the hearts of men. Out of his 65 years of ministry, of faithful ministry, I should say, Pastor Chuck spent 50 years pastoring Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And on Thursday, October 3rd, 2013, Charles Ward Smith went home to be with the Lord. He served the Lord up into his dying day. Listen to the last few days of his life. The Sunday before he departed, he taught three Sunday morning services. His last sermon was entitled, Be Strong in the Faith. From Romans chapter 4, verse 19. If you get a chance, listen to it. It's worth your time. 
As I've said before, and I'll say it again, the last words of a man are sometimes the most impactful words, and that is the case with Pastor Chuck, watching him deliver a message about being strong in the faith. Here's a man who is living out the very words that he's speaking from the pulpit. On Monday, Pastor Chuck would spend his day at K-Wave recording his radio programs. Tuesday, he was too tired to leave home, and then in the early morning hours on Thursday around 3 a.m., Pastor Chuck breathed his last breath and woke up in glory to the words of Jesus, no doubt saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Pastor Chuck will forever <clears throat> be a shining example of what remaining effective for Christ looks like. This is the title of my message this morning, Remaining Effective for Christ. I thought it was very appropriate to use a man like Pastor Chuck, who God used mightily, not because he was a phenomenal speaker or because he was incredibly intelligent or because he was, you know, just, just gifted in and of itself, although some of those things are true, but because his heart was given over to the Lord and he remained faithful to the Lord. He was steadfast. And in fact, one of his things was hold the course. That's one of the things they used to always say, hold the course. Even when times were tough, he would say, hold the course. Other pastors would call Pastor Chuck and talk about different things that were going on in their lives, and he would tell them, hold the course. Hold the course. Pastor Chuck is rooting us on in heaven today, and he's telling you, hold the course. Remain effective for Christ. Don't slip away from the path. Stay on path. Listen, the Lord is coming soon. There, there's all, we should always want to be effective, but there, listen, there, time is short, and we need to be effective for Christ. And that's what Paul ends what I believe the, this book with, an exhortation and a warning to not be idle, to not be idle. And we'll, we'll look at what that means exactly. But, but there are four things that I want to show you from this passage regarding how to remain effective for Christ. The first, we find in verse 6 there, write this down if you're taking notes, remaining effective for Christ requires not keeping company with lazy Christians. Whoa. Look at verse 6. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. You've heard the words. Maybe you've said the words. The scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33. Bad company ruins good morals. Or perhaps you said it this way, show me your friends and I will what? Show you your future. These are totally true statements. Why? Because we become like the people that we hang out with. And in fact, someone said it like this. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Who are the five people you spend the most time with? Think about that. Would you want to be the average of those people? Research demonstrates this to be true. And in fact, it goes even beyond just the people that we, we congregate with. It's even the environment that we allow ourselves to be in. Researchers Nicholas Christox and James Fowler studied the data from the Framington Heart Study, which is the longest and largest running health study that ever conducted. And according to their results, listen to this, if a friend of yours 
becomes obese, you yourself are 45% more likely than chance to gain weight over the next two to four years. More surprisingly, however, if a friend of your friend becomes obese, you are, your likelihood of gaining weight increases by about 20%, even if you don't know that friend of the friend. The effect continues one more person out if a friend of the friend of your friend develops obesity, you are still 10% more likely than random chance to gain weight as well. The moral of the story is friends make you fat. No, no. <laughs> well, kind of, sort of. That, the point is this, that we're prone to adapt to the environment that we allow ourselves to live in. We have a tendency to live like those around us live. This can have a huge impact on our Christian walk. At least the Holy Spirit thinks so, and if he thinks so, we should probably pay attention. Listen to the tone of the text. We command you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold your horses there, buckaroo. Command. Yes. Giving orders. Giving orders that are required to be followed. Listen, not by Paul, not by Timothy, not by Silas, but by a far greater authority. Did you see it? It says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul isn't commanding anybody to do anything. Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is telling Paul to instruct these believers in Thessalonica to keep away, literally to withdraw, to shrink back from what? From any brother, that being a Christian, any brother who is walking in idleness. That word idleness literally means to do nothing and is pertaining to a refusal to work. It means lazy. It can mean uh, disorderly and irregular, but the context of, this, of these passages here is about work. Therefore, the word idleness is pointing us to a Christian who is lazy, who is unwilling to work, and we'll see that here in a moment. Listen, if you want to be on the top of your game, you want to be on the top of your game, it doesn't matter what that game is, you need to surround yourself with people who are trying to be on the top of their game. You need to surround yourself with people who you want to become, not people that you're necessarily, you know, I don't want to say better, but that's the only word I can think of, but, but people that you have accelerated past maturity-wise, but you need to have people in your life that are far above where you are, so you have something to strive for. Listen, if you want to be a bodybuilder, you don't surround yourself with people that aren't in shape, that don't work out. You surround yourself with people that work out, that are, that are in shape, that are disciplined. Why? Because there will be temptations there if you don't. If you want to excel in your spiritual walk, if you want to be fit spiritually, then you need to surround yourself with people who are fit spiritually, who are pursuing the Lord, and not perfectly. Of course, there is no perfect person. But you want to look for people who are going after the Lord with everything they got. Those are the kind of people you want to surround yourself with if you want to remain effective for Christ. Remaining effective for Christ not only requires not keeping company with lazy Christians, but secondly, it requires imitating those who are on mission for Christ. Paul goes on here in verse 7. 
And he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we, walked, when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Listen to this. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I don't know about you, but I'm a visual person. I, I like to see things. Don't just, show, don't just tell me how to do it. Show me how to do it, and then it's much easier for me to grasp. I'm far more effective when things are modeled for me, and I'm, my guess is you're the same. Can you imagine if Jesus just said to us, hey, love, love one another, and he didn't model it for us? We have, have no idea what that meant. But because he did model it, we understand the depth of the love that he's speaking about. It's talking about loving people beyond our feelings, loving people at their worst. It's talking about reaching into people's lives where they don't deserve to be reached in and grabbed and pulled out. But that's love. That's what love does. That's the kind of love that Jesus loves us with. And when he said love one another, that's the kind of love that he was speaking about. And he, he gave us that example. Paul and Timothy and Silas modeled what it looked like to remain effective for Christ. They were workers who need not be ashamed, but rightly divided the word of God. They were, they were workers in the word, but they were also workers in the world. He talks about in verse 6 there that, they, that, that they, the, the, the traditions, when he talks about um, those people who are walking not in, in the traditions that you receive from us, he's not talking about some arbitrary rules that they made up. He's talking about the word of God. He's speaking about the doctrines of Christ, what the Lord had given them to, to, to teach. One of those doctrines is the doctrine of work, to not be idle, to make a way for yourself, to pay, to pay your own way. To, the Lord will provide for you. You don't want to live off of other people. You need to make your own way. And it says, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they held on to, those, to that tradition and and they were not idle when they were with these believers in Thessalonica. They didn't sit on their hands and expect somebody to take care of them. They were constantly at work physically to feed themselves. They didn't expect other people to feed them. They worked for what they received. Let me let you in on a little secret. Maybe you're not familiar with. Did you know that work is not part of the curse? Did you know that when God planted man in the garden, that God said, Adam, you go and tend the land. That's work. God intended Adam to work from the beginning of time, before the fall of man. And, and God has intended us to be workers from before the fall. Now, because of the fall, work becomes harder. Remember what the Lord said to Cain? He said, man, it's going to be awfully hard for you to till the ground. It's going to be awfully hard for you. you. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat. It's not necessarily easy. The, 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 the enjoyment of maybe the kind of work that God had intended for Adam in his perfect state has changed, certainly. But the intent has never changed. God expects us to work. 
And in fact, we will be working for all of eternity. The Bible tells us that we will be serving the Lord in the heavens, that we will be serving God in Revelation 22, 3. In the parable of the talents, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 23, you have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. We will be serving God and ruling and reigning with him. He's going to be putting us over things. We are going to have things to do. We're going to take care of his creation just like he intended us to do from the beginning of time, from before the fall. God has made you a steward of gifts, of talents, of of various different things that, that he has put in your life, and he wants you to do well with those things. He wants you to work hard. He wants you to uh, be an example of what hard work looks like. Listen, if you're living off of others because you're unwilling to work, then you're in sin, period. I'm not talking about people who can't provide for themselves. That's not what this says, but people who are unwilling to work. In fact, God is so serious about this. Listen, listen to the words of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to what God says through, through Paul to Timothy. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Bruh, really? Serious. God is serious about work. It doesn't get any clearer than that, folks. God wants you and I to work. Children who are adults, they have a responsibility to take care of their family, to their parents, and, 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 and when, as they no longer can. And parents, you have a responsibility to take care of your children when they can't do it for themselves. There's a responsibility, and I'm not telling you how to do it, but there's a responsibility to do it. You, you have to do what you can do as the Lord is gifted and, and, and given you the ability to do, you need to, you need to take care of your relatives and your family members, not who are unwilling to work, but who cannot work, who cannot take care of themselves. And then, of course, there's the church. The church is here to secondarily help people who are in legitimate need, but, but not who are legitimately lazy. Listen, you, you wouldn't believe the amount of calls and um, people stopping by the church that will just come in and they're, they're I, I, you know, they tell us their circumstances, but it's just, you know, they're just down on their luck. No, they don't want to work. A lot of these people don't want to work. And, I, and you know, we, we, when we, we vet these people, every person that comes in here, we vet them. We have an application process that we go through. We want to, before we just hand a dollar to somebody, we want to make sure that they are really, truly in need and that they're just not lazy. And sometimes that's really difficult. Sometimes it's really difficult to figure that out. But we, we pray and we ask the Lord to give us guidance on it. I think Pastor Mike does a great job at that. He, he really takes the, the people that come in and considers them and, and their situation. Oftentimes, we help people. We, we won't give them cash, but we'll give them something to help them along the way because there's also the other side of this, which is to, we're called to be compassionate people. But listen, uh, the financial, you know, the cares of, of each individual, if you're able to work, should never rest on the church or should never rest on anyone else. It should rest on your shoulders. If you're capable of making a living, you should make your own way. That's what this is saying. Paul says, imitate us. 
imitate us. I wonder if we could say that about ourselves today. Hey, you want to see what it's like to be a worker who's not ashamed? Just, just look at my life. Are you living in a way that right now you could invite others to model your life? Are you a worker that is remaining effective for Christ or are you coasting? I have to admit, it's easy to coast. I've coasted. I know what it feels like. It's easy to coast. But here's, here's what I know about coasting. Not only do I find myself far less productive, but I also find myself far easier to trip up and fall into temptation when I'm coasting. It's not just about work for the sake of work. It's about work for the sake of keeping yourself out of trouble too, and we'll talk about that in a moment. It's been said, idle hands are the devil's workshop. We need to stay working. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a, a thin line between staying busy and staying working. We need to stay working. We don't need to be the Marthas who are so busy about their business that they miss the intimacy of Christ. And they're so focused on the, the physical world, the material world, that they are, they've built their 401k up. Their, their parents and their children and their, their, their children's children are squared away. They're taken care of. They have built up a, all kinds of uh, portfolios for them to live off of, and yet they've forsaken Christ. That's the far end of the other spectrum. There's laziness and there's all idolatry or there's that, that idea that you're living in, in such a, you're worried, you're going to be the provider. Listen, there's a balance. The balance of working to provide versus the balance of working to obtain. And so we need to, we need to constantly be checking ourselves and, and considering, what am I doing, Lord? Am I, am I, am I on path? Am I... Am I coasting or am I a little too aggressive in this area? Am I, here, here's, here's, what, here's what you can do to keep the balance. You have to keep asking yourself, what is my motive? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my motive? Why, why, why do I pursue the things that I'm pursuing? What am I trying to accomplish? Listen, our motive, we have one motive as a believers, one motive and one motive alone, and that is to glorify God. You can simply ask yourself this question, am I glorifying God in what I'm doing right now in my life, in the pursuit that I'm on right now, am I glorifying God? You might find yourself that you are maybe coasting in your job, that you're making a living, but you're not really being effective for Christ because don't forget that he placed you where you are. Like you're in your workplace because there's people there that God wants you to be an example to that they might look at you and say, oh, I want to imitate that person. Listen, we are called to leave a gospel footprint everywhere, everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we are, we are placed in our workplace, we are placed in our grocery stores, we are placed in our wherever it is. But we are placed by God to be a workman for Him. Somebody that, that can be an example of what it looks like to be a Christian to work hard, to keep life, the work-life balance. And I know that's really difficult, particularly with companies that, that you know, I mean, it's very difficult for them to figure that out. I, I know I had a company. It was very, very difficult. 
to figure that out, but you have to ask the Lord to help you with that. But don't forget, you're on a mission. Your, your, your one motive is to glorify God, but your, and your mission field is everywhere you go. So you want to keep your balance in, in life and not get sucked into one way or the other, then keep the focus on Christ. Here's what I would say. Don't, don't ever forget this. I came to this knowledge um, in my workplace, which, by the way, if you do this right, your workplace will be an incredibly impactful uh, place of growth for you. Uh, I had four partners that were believers, and we, we along with all, a lot of our employees, we would have, um, we wouldn't still time to have conversations about Christ, but we would have appropriate conversations about Christ at different times, and oftentimes they were impactful. They changed people's lives. They changed my life. There wasn't very many times. I can remember many, many times sitting in um, our, our boardroom having a, an owner's meeting with my brothers who were believers in our, on, at the workplace during work and one of us weeping over what God was doing in our life through conversations that we were having at the workplace. Here's, what we came, here's, here's the lesson that I learned that I want to share with you. You're not a business person or a sales clerk or a stay-at-home mom or whatever you are that happens to be a Christian. You are, in fact, a Christian who happens to be a business person, a salesman, a stay-at-home mom, or whatever respectively you do with your life. You are a Christian first. You are Christ. You belong to Christ. Don't forget that. Imitate. Be, be somebody that can be imitatable. Be a hard worker. Live your life in such a way that that you could say, as Paul said, imitate us. Just, you want to see what it looks like? Just watch my life. I won't do it perfectly, but you will see me. Even when I blow it, you will see me. Come back around and, and ask the Lord for forgiveness. You will, you will see an imperfect person doing their very best to pursue God. And, and so you, that's the kind of people we want to be. Paul goes on here. He says this in verse 9. He says, it's not that we don't have the right to come in and say, listen, you guys need to provide for us. They do have the right to do that. A worker is worth his wage. A person that has given their life over to ministry, uh, you know, needs to be supported by the ministry that they function in um, if that's the way that the Lord chooses to do it. And so there's many churches that, you know, are able to financially pay their pastors to, to, to work in the ministry full time, and that's, their, that's what they do. That's how they earn their living, and they work hard to do that. I know a lot of you guys only think, that people in ministry work, you know, a couple hours a week, but, you know, it's a little bit more than that, I think, but uh, I'm kidding, but, but listen, there's, there's also another way that the Lord does it, and I think it's the preferred way by Paul here. At least in the lives of these believers in Thessalonica, he chose to be, to be a bivocational pastor, meaning he had a job, he worked, he did what he had to do to pay his bills and to take care of himself, to get along, but then he also worked full-time in the ministry, and listen, I would say that there are, there are churches all over. Um, majority of the churches are like that, where the pastor, you know, is, is he, he earns his living some other place, and, and then he's also working in the ministry. Listen, that, that's, um, God, God does it a lot of different ways. But, but the point is, is that it's, it comes back to, Paul had the, had the right to do that, but he wanted to be an example to these people. He said, listen, I want to show you what it looks like to work hard and to be in ministry because most of you are going to have to do that. I mean, it was the Lord ordained that for him in this moment. 
He didn't want people to think that he was in it for the money. And listen, there are plenty of people that are in the ministry for the money. I don't know what money they're seeking after, but you could see these guys on TV. They're, they're trying to fleece the flock of God and try and get as much money as they can. And you can, you know, not every one of them or anything like that, but there's plenty of them that are. And they're in it because it's, it's, a, it's a way to um, deceive people into giving them money. And, and you know, that, there's, there's plenty of people that do that. But Paul said, I don't ever want to be accused of that. Not, not with you guys. So I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be bivocational. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a Christian who happens to be a worker. And that's exactly what he did. He just kept on. Uh, you know, listen to what he says here. He goes, this way, this way, you know what, we could give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, if, if, if you didn't just read that out of the Bible, you might, if somebody quoted that to you, you might be like, whoa, hold on a second. I don't know about that. Here's the thing is, you know, we live in a culture that has diluted any kind of consequences to sin. You know, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want people telling us that we're in sin. Uh, we don't want people, you know, trying to help us along in our walk. We want people to just leave us alone. And it's just us and God, and we can figure it out. But for some reason, don't ask me why, God has asked you and I to be accountable to each other and to work in each other's lives, and he, he uses us in each other's lives. But, but what's happened in our culture, particularly as time goes on, is, is people will respond to what I would say a biblical mandate to accountability, people would respond to that and say, you can't tell me what to do. You're not. You're, you're, you're judging me. No. No, we're, we're called to, to be accountable. Paul is saying if a person isn't willing to work, they shouldn't eat. I'm not saying that. Paul said that. The Holy Spirit through Paul said that. I didn't say that. But listen to the key phrase, not willing to work. So there comes that balance of saying, listen, if a person isn't willing to do this stuff, then they have to be set out on the natural, whatever the natural consequences of that sin are. You have to let them do that. Just think of it like if you, you tell your child, do not touch the stove. It's hot. It will burn you. <laughs> and we've all done it. I mean, I've done it. We walk up and say, oh, you mean this stove right here? And then you put your finger on it, and it burns you. Guess what? That's a natural consequence to your sin. I mean, we, we can't do anything about that. We can't. We, we could have ran over there, grabbed their hand, dive, you know, dove over furniture to try and get to them so they didn't do that. But, but you know, you, you, can, you instruct your child, don't do that. And then if they do that, they, there's a natural consequence to that. It's called pain. Well, Paul is saying... The very same thing here. You instruct the brother. This person's a believer, by the way, but they're not willing to work. So Paul says, well, let the natural consequence of that sin carry, take its course then. He should not eat. That means we do not enable people to be lazy. And there's a fine line in that. I know that's, that's hard for us to differentiate. We, we want to be compassionate, loving people and show the love of Christ and all this kind of stuff. And, and honestly, I think that when you look at it, there's the compassion side, which ultimately I think is kind of outside the church. That's where we're, we're, we're showing the love of Christ through compassion and things. But inside the church, the Bible says that, you know, um, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. 
And so when, when somebody is just totally rejecting the word of God and not, they're not allowing, um, you know, God to be the, the authority in their life, to speak in their life, and you're telling them, listen, this is what the Bible says about this, and they say, I don't care, then you should allow them to go on in their natural consequences and not support that, period. And, and we're going to see here, it gets, it gets pretty, he gets pretty, pretty downright ruthless. The Lord gets pretty ruthless in this passage. At least we would consider it ruthless. I, I consider it kind and I consider it gracious because God doesn't have to do any of this for us. Let, let me show you what I mean. So let's move on to the third point. So remaining effective for Christ not only requires that you not keep company with lazy Christians and that you imitate those who are on mission for Christ, but thirdly, listen, we must not grow weary in doing good. Look at verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work for busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now this is interesting. Apparently, the issue that was going on in Thessalonica was that there were people who had changed careers. They, made their, they, they went from working to care for themselves and to care for others in their community to working to know the cares of others and other people in their community. They went from, they went from being workers to, to being idle busybodies, making everyone's else's business about, about their business. They wanted, they were getting in, other, in people's lives. They were, they were trying to, to get down into the nitty-gritty of, of people's lives and, and spreading gossip and all these kinds of things. And Paul is addressing that in this body. And listen, th these kind of things happen in everybody. These, these kinds of things happen. In, I know that we want to think that we're all mature Christians and we all come to church and that we're all Christ-centered and we're all doing the right things. But listen, these kinds of things happen in the church, so don't let it derail you. If you get into a church, somebody gossips about you, guess what? You, there's a ton of human beings that are in church that may or may not be believers who are <clears throat> still struggling with sin. So if you get your eyes on man and you allow man <clears throat> and you think that if you start to follow man and worry about what man, you know, is or isn't doing, then you're going to be derailed in your walk with the Lord. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the example. He's the one that we're looking to. But, but, but apparently there, these people in this church were wiggling their way through life, uh, living off of other people, um, getting to know the, the, the ins and outs of other people's lives and letting other people know about these kinds of things. And so what, what is, how does Paul address this? This is kind of interesting. He says, command and encourage them in the Lord to do their work quietly and earn their own living. I like that. I like that, that the, the approach of what he's saying here. He's, he doesn't just say, just command them. Just command them to, to go get a job and, you know, to, to be kind to each other and, and to mind their own business. Just, just, that's not what he says. He says, yeah, rebuke them, yes. Command them. Tell them, listen, but, but do it in an encouraging way. Listen, this isn't the life that the Lord would have for you. The Lord has something far greater for you. He wants you to do something better with your life than what you're doing. Listen, maybe it's, hey, man, you're not on mission. You know, you want to experience you, you want to experience joy and peace and comfort and, and the love of God that, to, that just cover you and all of these kinds of things. You need to be walking in His will. 
You're not walking in his will. You want to encourage. Yes, command, but also encourage the brother. So, you know, we don't walk around like Gestapo's, you know, just hammering people. There's a command. And listen, the command doesn't come from us. The command didn't come from Paul. It didn't come from Timothy or Silas. It came from Jesus. And when we do something, it's in the name of Jesus. So be careful how you do it and what you do. But Paul goes on here. He says, but as for you, brothers, he's speaking about the guys that are doing the right things, that are walking according to the will of God. He said, listen, don't grow weary in doing good. John MacArthur commented on this passage. He said the danger was that they would grow weary of the deadbeats and become indifferent to the real needs. That's a real problem. That is a real problem that we have to very much guard our hearts against, man. Uh, There's a natural progression for someone who is extremely giving, extremely compassionate, extremely loving to, to find themselves in a place where they feel like they're taken advantage of over and over and over again to the point where they feel like they have to guard themselves. And, and when you get to that point, you start to guard yourself, you start to harden your heart a little bit because you're not sure if you can differentiate between who is what and who is real and who isn't real. And before you know it, you treat everybody like they are crooks, like they are, I mean, have you ever felt that way? You ever walk into a place and like you're, you're there with legitimate concern for something and, and they're treating you like you're, you've done something wrong, but you haven't? That's kind of what he's saying. Like, like you can get into that mentality of treating everybody like they're a deadbeat. Like everybody's trying to get something out of you. And that isn't necessarily the case. There, there, there's a balance of really being discerning and knowing where the Spirit is coming from, and then also, at the very same time, leaving your heart open and being soft-hearted, being compassionate and loving towards people. And that is an only, I, I can honestly say, that is a work of the Lord. That is a work of the Lord to, to remain in that place of not growing weary and doing good. I'll tell you how you can, how you can become weary, though. I, I know that well because I've done that. And, it, and I have to guard myself against that. And, and it's easy to become super weary if you start focusing on, on what everybody else isn't doing. You know, um, it, it's easy for you to start focusing on, oh, well, this person isn't doing this, and this person isn't doing this, and this person isn't doing this. And then you feel all the weight of, I feel like I'm carrying all the weight. And all the, who's your eyes on in that moment? There are, your, your eyes are on you. Life is about you. You're the center of everything. Listen. Could you imagine if Jesus walked around like that? Well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why do I have to go to the cross? He didn't. God, God has called me to be a pastor of a church. So there's certain responsibilities I have that, that come with that. And I, I, you know, whether or not other people do what they're supposed to do is not my really focus. That shouldn't be my focus. That isn't my, my real, my, my job is to be, remain faithful to God and do what he's called me to do. And yeah, is it frustrating at times? Of course it is. You know it's frustrating at times in your own life, but you have to guard yourself because if you don't, you will become weary. And when you become weary, then you stop doing what God's called you to do. Now you're in sin. You see how that works? Be very careful about growing weary. And it's so easy to do that if you're watching everybody else's life and, and saying, well, why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing that? You become super critical. Beware. Don't allow yourself to do that. 
You keep your eyes focused on Jesus, just like that pastor told Pastor Chuck's mom when, when his little, little sister was, when his older sister was laying there, what they believed to be dead. The pastor said, don't focus on her. Get your eyes on Jesus. You start to worship and pray to Jesus. You get your eyes on Jesus. And, and if you want to remain faithful to the Lord and in, 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 in the world at all, you are going to have to keep your eyes focused on Jesus and not worry about what everybody else is doing because you will grow weary in doing good. Paul goes on here. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is what is called church discipline, not a super uh, popular and super, uh, you know, embracing kind of, you know, theology. People don't like to hear that word church discipline, but it's in the Bible. So if it's in the Bible, we need to be willing to do what the Bible says. It's not what man's made up, it's what God has said. There comes a time after commanding and encouraging someone to obey the Lord, to do what he has said, that you disassociate yourself from that person and not allow them to be in fellowship with you, that in their shame, they may turn their heart back to the Lord and repent. You know, Paul says, if there's people in your camp right now, if there's people in your in your church that are not, are blatantly in sin, that everybody knows what's going on, that they're freely offering up all that's going on in their lives and they're not willing to change, then you need to address that. And there's a specific way that we're called to address it. You know, and, and I, I mention this all the time, this is the most, I would say, the most um, disregarded uh, process or command that the Lord Jesus himself has given us to follow when it comes to um, dealing with sin in, 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 in each other's lives. And you know the passage is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And here's what it says. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Jesus told us that we're going to have problems dealing with sin with each other. And so he said, Here, here's, here's how you deal with this. You go and show your brother his fault. You go and talk to him. You say, listen, you, you, you sinned against me. Now, how did I sin against you? Well, you did this. Well, I don't care because I feel like I can do that. <laughs> okay. Well, after a period of time where you, you know, and what that period of time is, you determine with the Lord. When you know it's going nowhere, uh, you know, you, you allow a person some time to respond to the Holy Spirit, of course. You know, you don't go to that person in one hour, and the very next hour you take two or three with you, and then, the, and then the third hour you just take them before the church. That's not the process. The process is Holy Spirit-led. And you go show your brother his fault, and if he doesn't respond to you, 
then you go and you bring another brother, another two or three with you, and you, and you address the sin. Now, these other two or three brothers need to be people that are strong in the Lord, that are mature, that are not going to be gossipers, that are not going to take. You need to bring people that you know can handle the information. And you go and you address that, and you let them determine it. Maybe you're off. You know, we are blind to our sins at, at times. Maybe we're totally misinterpreting something. So we bring two or three brothers with us. And they, they address this situation, and they say, oh, well, you know, yeah, he's, this person's unwilling. And you bring it before the church. And then the church has the responsibility of dealing with this person. They have to sit down with this person. And they have to say, listen, this is what's being said about you. Are you, you know, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm, not, I'm doing what I want to do. I don't care what you say or anybody else says. You can't judge me. You're not God and all the other things that people like to say. So then you say, okay, well, if, if, you were, if you're in that place and you are just totally unrepentant, you're unwilling to surrender yourself, not to what I think, but to what God thinks, then listen, we can't, we can't fellowship with you any longer. And you tell them, you know, you, you, are, you, know, you bring them up before the church. You, you, they probably won't, you know, you don't let them come up because that would be a problem. But, but if you, after you've had that conversation as a minister of the, of the church, then you would address that before the congregation and you would say, hey, listen, this so-and-so has, uh, you know, we, we've tried to talk to so-and-so and, and they've done this and, and they're un, unrepentant. And, you know, the Bible says that we're, we're to avoid that person until they come to a place of repentance. So we're obeying the commands of Scripture. That's, that's the way it is. Now, people don't like that. People don't, don't think, well, well, what would Jesus do? Well, that's exactly what Jesus would do. That's what he said to do. You know, we, we, want, we cannot, listen, we cannot sissify God's word because we live in a culture that does it totally different. Like, we need to stand in the word of God, and, and, and I, I thankfully praise God that I've never had to do that, but I would if I had to. People are like, man, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. I'm bailing on the church. I'm not staying there. That guy's, that guy's a, li listen, I, I'm not extreme. I'm just trying to be biblical. And anybody who's trying to be biblical just takes the word literally what it says, and you do what it says, you know? And you don't look for sin in people's lives or anything like that. But, but again, this is the process. And I'm sorry, but I wonder if more churches actually, if church actually did this, what would happen? I wonder if people would have better relationships. I wonder if churches would be more functional. I wonder if there would be a whole different environment where people actually felt accountable to each other and didn't feel like, hey, this is my own personal walk with Jesus and you have nothing to do with it, you know, kind of thing. And, and I wonder what it would be like. How, how would that change things? Maybe we should find out. Maybe we should really apply God's word. Maybe we should do what he says in Matthew chapter 18. And if, if somebody does sin against me, like I should go to that person and if they don't respond, then I just drop it. No, I need to go forward, and I need to talk to them about it because the Bible tells us to do it. Listen, this, God, God, is, God is loving. He's incredibly loving, but he's also just, right? And he disciplines those whom he loves. He's a just God. He addresses sin in people's lives, even if you're a believer. I mean, you know, he will address the sin in your life. He wants to get to the root because he wants you to change because he wants to, you to experience the freedom that Christ get, came to give you. It's incredibly unloving to let people live in their sin and just do nothing about it if you knowingly know something. 
Finally, come to the last point here, if you're taking notes, remaining effective for Christ requires being genuine always. Verse 16, now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in my every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. In the midst of Paul wishing the Lord's best upon the, the lives of these brothers and sisters and the peace, that God's peace would remain upon them always, that he would, he would be with them and flood them with his grace and all, that, he would, that they might live in his peace and be gracious to each other. Paul, Paul says something interesting, I think, and it's in verse 17. He talks about writing with his own hand, which is, he said, something that he does in every letter of his. And, there, and there's a couple reasons why Paul does it. It's, it's, it's a matter of authentication. So, so he, he first needs to authenticate the letter that, he's, that, that, that it's from him. Remember, we read earlier that, um, that Paul was addressing, told the, the believers in Thessalonica, listen, I don't care if somebody comes to you what seemingly looks like a letter from me, right? A, a forged letter, because forged letters were happening back in this day. So that's why Paul said, I'm going to at least give some kind of a differentiator to make sure, sure you know that it's authentic, that it's from me. And so I'm going to use my own hand. And this was something that they did in their culture. Um, but, but I have an example of, of something that it might look like. And you can check this out. Lori will throw it up on the screen. But this is a formal contract that was written right around the same time that Paul wrote this letter. And it was an Egyptian contract. And the first part of it, the very top of it, you can see that it's very neat and small and it's uh, written by a scribe. And then the very bottom part of it, you can see that, that the hand, handwriting isn't very good. It's a lot larger. And it is um, written by the person who is, who is, you know, communicating with the scribe what to write. This would be an example of what it might look like for Paul, who worked with the scribe, who wrote down his letters, for him to take the pen at this point and he say, now... I write this, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. It might be, and, and this is conjecture, so you need to take it as that. This isn't, you know, this is my own personal thoughts, but I think that being a man in which Paul was, that perhaps doing this might be a little bit humiliating for him to do his own handwriting, not being able to write very well. You know, he had some sort of an issue that talks about him not being able to write very well. Maybe it was some eye problem he had or something, but, but maybe this was a little bit humiliating for Paul to take the pen and write with his own hand, but he needed to do it for the purpose of authenticity, but also, I think also, maybe perhaps to be authentic with people, to show people, listen, I'm a man. I'm the same as you. I have flaws like you have. And in fact, that's the kind of guy that he was. In fact, he, he said in, um, at, at, towards the end of his life, when he was writing to Timothy, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. This is, this is a man that's being authentic with, 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 with you and I and, and with Timothy saying, man, I'm, I'm the chief of all sinners. What does he mean? Does that mean that like he's sinning more? No, I don't think so. I think what it meant was that Paul, the closer Paul got to Christ, the more he understood even the littlest of sin, 
was such an abomination before God that the closer he got, the more flawed he saw himself. That's being authentic. I'm the chief of all sinners. Not only that, but Paul would also say, listen, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. Like he wouldn't stand out and say, hey, man, I am so good. I was, you know, he, he could run through the pedigree of, of his education and all of that, you know, being a Jew and all these kinds of things. In fact, at one point he said, I could do all these things, but, but the only person I want to boast in is Jesus Christ. I will boast in the cross. I will boast in the cross, Jesus, and that's it. I'm not going to boast in myself because I'm nothing. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And I know that anybody who wants to remain effective for Christ has to be authentic in who they are, and they have to be authentic in, in, in what God is doing in their life. It's not you. It's not me. It wasn't Pastor Chuck. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't any of these people. It was the Holy Spirit working through them. And, 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 and people that remain effective are people that remain in that state of saying, the only thing I have going for me is Jesus. The only thing I have going for me is the Lord, man. Pastor Chuck, he would put a smile on his face and he would take zero credit for what God had done through him. Zero credit. He would say, man, God did it all. God did it all. He, 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 he worked through me. And, that, and that's the truth. And Paul would say the same thing. It's God who's done it through me. You know, and, and whoever the spiritual giant that you consider, you know, like, wow, I, I wish I was like that person. If, they were, if, they're, if they're truly a spiritual giant, they would be the same way. I am what I am by the grace of God. The key to remaining effective for Christ is being genuine. So let me ask you a question. As we close now, are you on mission with the Lord? Are you remaining effective for Christ. Listen, Pastor Chuck has an incredible story, incredible testimony in, in, um, of what God's done in his life. And, you know, we could sit back and look at Pastor Chuck's life and wow and, and be like, wow, look what the Lord did and all these kind of things. Or, and we can do that still, by the way, but, but what if we said, Lord, I want to have my own story. Like, God, I, I, want to, I want to be the man that you use. I want to be the woman that you use. I want to be the person that you use to bring glory to yourself, Lord. And, and, and you really press into the mission that he's called you to. It's the only way that you can do it. You have to step into it, and you have to be willing to, as Pastor Chuck said, hold the course. You have to be willing to remain faithful to the Lord no matter what's going on in your life. So I want to encourage you today. Listen, if you're not walking with Christ, that you need to turn to the Lord this morning and say, God, you know, I've been coasting. If you're not growing in the Lord, if you're not serving the Lord, if you're not on mission, like if you look around your life and say, like, man, there's no evidence that I'm really doing much for the Lord, then today the day that you turn to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do? Because I, I, don't, I don't really see that I'm being effective for you and I want to be effective for you. If we really believe what the Bible says, that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he created beforehand that we should walk in, 
And then there should be things going on in our lives today. We should be able to say, yeah, Lord, I'm on mission here. I'm, I'm, I, I want to be more on mission maybe, but I'm, I'm, I'm walking the path that you've given me. And if you're not, turn your heart to the Lord today and, and tell him, Lord, I'm, I'm available. I want to do what you want me to do. And then start doing simple things. Start doing a Bible study to grow in your faith. Get involved in a home fellowship, man. You know, start reading the Bible. Start fellowshipping with brothers that, that are, you know, going after God. Don't, don't mess around with people that aren't, you know, really going after the Lord. People that are, you know, just happy that they're going to heaven. Go, go with somebody that wants to get there first, like wants to run the race as if to win. Get yourself surrounded with people like that, man. And really give your heart over to the Lord and let him do the work. He wants to do the work in you. In fact, the Bible says, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro, seeking loyal hearts that God might show himself strong through you. He wants to work strongly through people, but he will only do it through loyal hearts because he knows the problem when people start to get, start to become used, the temptations come. So I want to encourage you today, if you're not walking with the Lord strong, that today be the day that you come back and you start walking strong with him. And if you are walking strong, that you continue even pressing all the more to the Lord and be on, be on a mission to do what he's calling you to do. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy for us, Lord. And um, what an incredible, incredible book that we just finished, Lord. We're so thankful for 2 Thessalonians and for what you've done in our lives through it, Lord. We look forward to hearing all the, the um, testimonies of what you've done, Lord, through the hearts and the lives of, of uh, the people here at Calvary Chapel, Columbia, Lord, as we have uh, journeyed through this, this book. We pray now, Lord, for any, anyone here, uh, anyone listening that wants to turn their heart over to you now, Lord, will you hear their cry? Will you meet them where they are? Will you help them even now, Jesus, to be drawn into your presence? We thank you, Lord, that you hear every cry, that you, you care about every need, that you want to work in every way. There are no impossibilities with you. And so whatever it is that our need is today, Lord, we just we want to offer it up to you now. And we ask you, in the name of Jesus, to work in our lives as only you can. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.